Welcome to How to Build a Tent, the podcast on how to make you successful. My name is Matt Williams. Thank you for sharing the show, subscribing to the show on all the social media sites, tagging a friend. For those of you listening and watching, live streaming, I really appreciate it. Just the amount of uh, subscriptions and sharing that you guys have been doing has been a fantastic. It's amazing. Thank you so much for doing it. We are part of the Fight, Laugh, Feast network. Go over to fightlaughfeast.com, put in HTBT in the memo field, and you'll get this HGBT mug that says how to build a tent underneath it, as you can see here. Got some uh, beautiful blue print on a white mug, 15 ounces to hold all your goodness, especially your cold brew coffee that we're soon going to be announcing. And this is the official brew of how to build a tent. Look for that. We also have been getting a lot of emails about the incubator idea, supporting Christian businesses and careers. I really appreciate that. I just want you to know from a financial aspect, you have to be really careful. You have to be really diligent with how you structure those things and really work out how it's gonna work, especially when you're trying to do something new. I've learned that with a lot of my creative ideas in the financial industry. When you do things that are not typical, you can get in trouble unless you do a lot of research and due diligence and talk to a lot of really great lawyers. So that's what we're doing in the background. I haven't forgotten about the vision, haven't given up on the dream. I appreciate all of you guys that continue to email and ask about it and wanna get in on it and invest and help and do all that stuff. That's so awesome. Keep on sending those emails. There's a few emails that just got lost in the, you know, the haze of emails. I got back to them today. I apologize to you guys for not getting back to you. It's been like a week. Usually I try to get back to you as soon as I see it. I always have my cell phone on me. Usually quicker, um, the, the quick ones I can get to really quickly. If it's a longer one, it takes me a while to set aside time because I, if you write me a long email, it's like obviously it takes more time to read, but you've put a lot of thought into it. And so I want to reply with great thought too. I don't wanna just dismiss your emails and blow it off. Um, so I appreciate all of you guys. Thank you so much. Today I want to talk about a few different things, but one of the main things that we're going to talk about is the contrast between two Americans. And I say Americans because so it's so easy for us to say in a non-offensive way, like America is going downhill, but really America is made up of people and people's choices. There is two stories that I was reading. One of them was about increasing taxes and the other one was about increasing gleaning. Gleaning, that old Boaz story, Old Testament instruction for people that had lands, that had riches in their agricultural um, produce to leave amounts for the poor to be able to come alongside, pick what they could and eat it. There's a bunch of rules and stuff with that, which is just fantastic for us to paint an imagery of where we are and what we need to be for ourselves and what we also need to preach for others as well, because we have this dueling mentality of one of increasing taxes and the other one of increasing gleaning. One of them is very self focused, one that wants things given to them, and the other one is very outwardly focused. That is, we're willing to take responsibility and ownership for not only themselves and their family, but those, the community around them, and help others. 
which is what made or one of the reasons that our country was so great and not just because of private property rights not just because our founders celebrated freedom but because we were a generous country and in a lot of ways we still are and we're starting to lose that though because of how selfish we have been raised when you are raised in an education system where you are taught there is no meaning to life that in a billion years the world's going to end anyways and nothing matters because we are just an accident that evolved out of a rocky soup there's no god there's no accountability there's no justice all you have is this life and nothing else and that has bred selfishness if there's nothing else to this life than this life then you are going to hoard everything you can for yourself but if you have the focus of the creator and when you have the kingdom mindset when you realize that this isn't it none of this life matters and i think that is one of the major reasons why we can see such a contrast between christians living for the kingdom and the rest of this world is because if you are not living for this world and you're living for something greater you're going to live drastically differently because this stuff doesn't matter the house doesn't matter the cars don't matter your possessions don't matter your friendships your relationships they're such imperil they pale in comparison to the greater glory that we will get to be with Jesus. Not that some of those things aren't valuable like friends and family and such, but it doesn't matter compared to our relationship to God. Contrasted to those who don't know God, that don't have a relationship, that aren't serving him, that aren't seeking to serve the true Lord, and they're just living for themselves. Everything else becomes more important because that's all that there is left. And the first story is about Social Security. Now, Social Security is an interesting one on many ways as far as taxes go because it's a Ponzi scheme. It is younger generations paying for older people to live. And when they're cashing out on their retirement, quote unquote, I think the article said 40% of Americans, or I'm sorry, most Americans are relying on Social Security for 40% of their retirement. So a large chunk of the retiring generations retirement income is going to come from social security in their plan we'll see if that happens and everyone thinks something should be done but what most americans or what a lot of americans in this article are saying is that we should increase the taxes to pay for social security that's just like saying there's nothing wrong with what bernie madoff did who had a Ponzi scheme structure just like Social Security, where new people came in and gave money to Bernie, and Bernie would pay off people that were cashing out in the early rounds of the investment cycle of his, um, whatever it was, portfolio that he was managing. And they would get money, and it would look like everything is fine. And that's what's happening with Social Security, is we're broke. People are living a lot longer than designed. People are just taking much more money. And the politicians are doing whatever they want with it. And we're taking more money to pay off the older generations. And what people are saying is, I want the younger generations to continue to pay for my retirement. And now I understand that, that we as uh, young people, especially in the millennials, are paying for retirement. And we're probably not going to see it. And that we are owed it, quote unquote. But it's still this mentality of, we need to continue to increase the payments of younger people, but it should be the opposite way. We should stop it. We should try to figure out ways to get out of this. And a lot of people are saying, or at least thinking and knowing that know the problem, 
that we're just going to have to eat it, especially millennials, that we're just not going to get what was owed to us. But we have the sentence, the sentiment, sentiment. Oh man, it's going to be a rough one. Where there are people that are saying, solve the problem by getting other people to pay for me. Get other people to take their private property, the wealth that they've accumulated through their skills, through the value they've created, and give it to me. That's one microcosm of uh, the people, the Americans today. Now, this is true, like this perspective goes beyond social security, it goes to healthcare, it goes to a living wage, it goes to you know, minimum wage, and all the different areas, because this mindset doesn't just stop and contain itself in one area, but it, it expands to every area of someone's life. And so this is prevalent through all the Americans that think this way in every different facet of their lives. They think they are owed things and they deserve it, and that other people should pay for them to get what they deserve, even though that they weren't financially good stewards where they were able to invest enough, to save enough, to produce enough wealth to save for retirement, they're gonna have they're gonna force people to do it for them. Now, that's one group of Americans. I don't know how big that group is. I have a fear that it is really big. There's another group of Americans, like this author, it was in a Christianity Today article. And then this person has just such a great perspective, has a very successful business. Now, I retweeted the article, you can find it on Twitter, and if you go and look for it on my profile, please follow me, I'd appreciate that. I retweeted it, even though like there's some like definitely like social justice language in it that's pretty bad, and it's so sad to see so much of our Christian literature today being infused with a liberal Marxist theology, but that's where we are. Nevertheless, this was a really great attitude that she had, and I really appreciated it. And it was a great application of gleaning, what I explained earlier, of farmers that would allow the edges of their field to be picked as kind of like a program for the poor. Because the government wasn't designed to take care of the poor. It was the individuals, the, the rich people, the people in the community to take, after, take care of the people around them. And this is how it was done. Now, she took this and applied it to today where when she grows her business and is able to expand in her offices, she sets aside a group of offices where she allows other people with businesses, other charities, other different organizations that are less fortunate and not as successful as she is to be able to use that space for free. And she sets aside offices on the outside of her unit or floor or whatever it is and gives it to people to use. And I just was so impressed with that application of an Old Testament, um, an Old Testament principle, an Old Testament structure in today. And I love it. And I hope that you guys love it too. And I hope that you guys are starting to think about how can you implement that into your own lives where you are been blessed with uh, an office space. You've been blessed with wealth. You've been blessed with a home or whatever it is, it's like, how can you glean some of those things in a way to get other people that are less fortunate than yourself an opportunity to succeed? The more that we can do this, I think we can fight back against the other set of Americans who are entitled. 
because we're not going to win that argument just saying no or just saying it's wrong or make the economic arguments to them. They don't care. It's an emotional, selfish, sinful thing. But if we can show God's love and give them hope through biblical principles like gleaning, that might be a way that we can spread the gospel, that we can proclaim the Lordship of Jesus, and that we can help turn the tide of the social justice, socialism push where people deserve to pay me things. Because if we can get, I have a feeling, and I don't know, because I never really honestly had this entitlement attitude. I mean, maybe I did to some extent, but never like this. I guess to some extent we all have entitlement, right? But I would imagine that if someone was given an opportunity to succeed, a given a break, that had this entitlement attitude, it would be a lot harder for me to have that attitude if I was given a break where I had an idea, I had a business, and I was given an office to work in for free. I would be gracious. I would I would think that I would start rethinking entitlement more and be able to see that there's other ways to help the less fortunate than to steal from it. But again, there's a lot of issues that go into that. But I just love that contrast, and I think it's important for us to see the contrast, to see the battle, because it is a battle that we're going to be fighting. And the more that that first group wins, the harder it is going to be for us to be successful because we are going to be increasing our debt so much. So the more money we take for Social Security, the less individuals are going to have to invest, to create, to grow capital, to in build new businesses, to grow their careers, to grow their own skill sets. It's going to be more money taken out of everyday paid or every week, every two weeks paychecks for the common man, for the working man. And that is not how you grow a society. That is not how you create wealth in a society. So I thought that was uh, two stories that really drew a great contrast of the two different American philosophies that we have today, which is so sad because America used to be the entrepreneurial rugged, do it yourself, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. And now it's give me your bootstraps. It really is a sad thing to think about. Another story I meant to get to yesterday, but I ran out of time, is a great article talking about the pluses coming. It was talking about all the different brands that are adding the plus. And of course, they started off with Google Plus. That was a big failure. Then we started talking about different companies like Apple News Plus, Apple TV Plus, Disney Plus. And they made a really good point about this, is uh, especially with Disney. Their brand is about imagination, magic. And putting a plus at the end of your brand to kind of market a new product, a new sales channel, is nothing like magic and imagination. And it just doesn't match their brand image, especially because Disney is so protective of their brand image. And they bring up a point where they talk about how you have such a short amount of time to convey what you're selling, the value proposition that you have of why you should give me the price I am asking for this product. The case of Disney, they ask a high price usually, except for their streaming system where it's totally undercutting the market to try to gain subscribers quickly. But you have such a short amount of time. And branding, your brand image, your logo, is one of the ways that you are going to have a few seconds to influence and to catch people's attention. And it's a great lesson for us 
as we are developing a brand, as we're developing a product, we're developing a new business channel in our business in our companies that we should not take for granted the name. We should not take for granted the colors, the logos, all those things matter because you have a few precious seconds to make an impression on somebody. And that could be the difference between buying or selling or buying or passing on your product. And it's just a great reminder, especially with all these pluses coming out. So I thought that was a great article as well. The last thing I wanted to touch on, well, there's actually two things, but I think we're only going to be able to get to this one thing. We'll, we'll get to that, the other topic tomorrow's show. There was a great article or an interview that was typed up as an article by Jeff Bezos. And he asked 12 questions. Jeff Bezos, obviously the guy Amazon, right? The richest person in the world. And divorced his divorced wife, became like the I don't know some rich person, one of the richest people in the world instantly. And one of the questions they asked was so such a good one was, "Will you wilt under scrutiny, or will you stand by your convictions?" And I love that for Christians because we should be asking that of ourselves. If you're not even a Christian, even ask yourself that. It's a way for us to harden ourselves in a good way. Not harden our hearts, but harden our skins. Because so many times there is adversarial comments. There are people that are scrutinizing us. And we kind of fear it. And it makes us uncomfortable that people are scrutinizing us, right? We, make, we start second guessing ourselves. We start thinking that we are in the wrong. But it's natural. People are negative and critical. And when you step out to do something, especially when you step out to do something that's never been done before or new or reorganized in a different way that's never been tried before, you are definitely going to get people that are um, very critical and scrutinizing you. And just asking yourself that question, at least for me, am I going to fold under that? Or am I going to continue to follow my convictions? Or in a Christian's case, am I going to continue to feel the need to follow what God has called me to do? And just asking that question prepares me for battle. It prepares me for those arrows that are coming. And that's such a healthy thing. Because that asking us that question, asking yourself that question, acknowledges that it's going to happen. And once you resolve in your mind that you're going to receive criticism, you're going to receive scrutiny, it becomes a lot less powerful. It becomes a lot less damaging when you acknowledge, when you realize that, hey, I'm going to do some things that I feel like I'm called to do, that I'm convicted about. But I'm going to endure some amount of scrutiny, but I'm going to continue on. I know it's coming. It's going to be okay. And I'm going to press on because I feel this is what I need to do. I think this is what I need to do. This is where I feel I'm being led to do. Opposed to somebody who doesn't think about this and just goes on and thinks that, hey, everyone's going to love it. Everyone's going to buy into it. And then when that criticism comes, it's a shock. It's a surprise. And you're not prepared for it. So ask yourself that question constantly. I think it's good to like reevaluate yourself. Are you okay with criticism? Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Are you being faithful in what God's called you to do? So much so that when criticism and scrutiny comes that you can persevere and brush it off because you know that you're doing what is the right thing. And I want to contrast that with the scrutiny to brush off that is damaging versus 
taking the criticism and leveraging it to improve. And what I mean by not listening to scrutiny is I mean not taking it personally and not letting that in itself discouraging you. But I'm not saying let's not listen to scrutiny, let's not listen to criticism. Even if it's from a bad place, even if it's people that are wanting to do you harm, that criticism still can be used to improve your product, to improve your process, to improve your business. And you should love it. You should thrive on it. Because basically people are just giving you advice. That's how I look at it. Because when people are telling you what's wrong with your product, when it's wrong with your vision, what's wrong with your business, what's wrong with your career, well, they're really just in a way giving you advice, even though they don't mean it that way. Maybe they're not trying to help you, but you can spin it that way. You can take it that way. I talk with people about this a lot is we can't control how people act towards us. And I don't think God ever in the Bible ever commands us to either. We are not responsible to control people's thoughts, control people's actions, control their feelings, control how they think about us, control their negativity. But we are all called to do things. And one of the things I think that means for us is that God has not called us to be imprisoned and captured by those people's intentions and feelings, thoughts towards us. We're free of it because we are focused and yearning for God's approval. And we are worried about what he sees of us and not what other people see of us. So we are free to brush off the criticism, not let us wound us, but to use it to improve, to better us and look at it from a perspective that, hey, you guys are just giving me advice. It may be bad advice. It may be great advice, even if you meant to do me harm. And there's so many Psalms about that where David talks about how his enemies thought to do me harm, but then God turned it around and blessed him with it. Now that's a perfect place for us to stay, to leave it for here. We'll pick up again tomorrow and let's go out and be successful together. God bless. 